A child psychologist had twin sons. One of them was a pessimist. You're probably going to read this in my newspaper article next week, but one of them was a pessimist. The other was an optimist. So just to see what would happen, he, uh, on Christmas Day, he filled the, the pessimist room with toys and games. And in the optimist rooms, he dumped a pile of horse droppings in his room. So that night, the father found the pessimist surrounded by his gifts, crying. And the father says, well, what's wrong? He said, I have a ton of games and manuals to read. Excuse me, a ton of game manuals to read. I need batteries. My toys will all eventually get broken, sobbed the pessimist. So passing the optimist room, the father found him dancing for joy around the pile of droppings. Why are you so happy, he asked. The optimist shouted, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> that was just too good not to share with you. But uh, I say, you know, I don't know your families well enough to know, but I, I know the dynamic in usually in families is around this time of year, people are thinking about what they're going to get. You know, uh, and, and you know what uh, what they're going to give to people, and people have attitudes. Well, did you see what they got? Or you know, and it's just all uh, you know a bunch of horse droppings, basically. But uh, we really need to have a good perspective on why we celebrate this season. Now, I'm not going to continue the third lesson on our uh, on our Christmas deal that I've been talking about, uh, simply because the Lord told me not to until next Sunday. And then when I came here and found that there's only 10 people, then that's probably why. Uh, also, I have purchased for you each one of the, the families here uh, a Christmas gift, and I'll be handing that out next week as well. Uh, half of it has not come yet because they got the, the, the thing messed up in the mail and all this. They sent me something totally different, and I contacted them, so I've reordered them, but they won't be here till January the 8th. So, uh, actually, Russia celebrates Christmas January the 7th, so maybe we... But uh, anyway, we'll give, we'll give the main thing to you out next week, and, and, uh, and I trust that it'll be a blessing for you. Uh, in Jeremiah 31, we're, we're, in some kind of way, we're going to talk about Christmas today, about this. But, but in Jeremiah 31, uh, there's four, actually four uh, terms that describe our new covenant. Actually, it's, it's actually the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled. Basically what, what we call the new covenant is. But there's four, four terms here that I think is very, very important, especially in this time of year to remember what Jesus has done for us and why he came. But uh, in verse, uh, let's see, in Jeremiah 31, let's look at verses 33 and 34. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will, number one, put my law in their inward parts. That's talking about your spirit. He has, he, he, in this new, in this Abrahamic covenant, of which now the, you know, what the Abrahamic covenant did, don't you? When it became complete at the resurrection, it brought sons. So now we're sons, daughters of God. 
whereas before that we weren't. See? So he said, I will put my law in their inward parts. We don't we have it written on the inside of us. Uh, and he says, number two, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's number three. They shall all know me. How many knows you do not need me to teach you the Bible? That's the Holy Spirit's job. You say, well, what's the use for a teacher? Well, God saw fit to give a five-fold uh, ministry gift for the propagation of the gospel. I'm a teacher. I'm called of God to be a teacher. Some people are apt to teach. You know, that's some qualifications we have, uh, you know, for deacons and all that. They, they need to be apt to teach. That's different than the calling of teacher. But what, what the point here is that you have the capability to listen to the Holy Spirit and he will teach you. See, so that's, that's number three. And then he said, saith the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Notice how he put their iniquity and sin in the same sentence. The iniquity is the condition that we had with God. The iniquity that the human race had with God was inside him. He was sin. That was the condition of it. That, that was how God viewed it. We were, we were alienated from the righteousness of God through that condition, see. We couldn't enter his presence. We, couldn't, we had no way of getting to him. He set up a condition called law that said if you will keep these commandments and make these sacrifices and do these things that I've told you to do, then you will have access to me. But it was limited, wasn't it? That, that, I feel so far away from you guys. I, my goodness. That's what was, you know, the, the, the limitations that was placed on mankind in order to get to God was almost insurmountable. I mean, there was a lot of things people had to do, as you can go and read and study and find out in the law of what all, you know, the requirements there. But I like what, uh, I think it's Romans 5, 1 says, he says that we have been made nigh, of course, through the grace of God. Grace is that which has given us access, free, unfettered access into that which was inaccessible, previously inaccessible. And that's the condition we're talking about here. That inaccessible place in God that we could not obtain through any amount of keeping law, rules, regulations, any of the commandments. They did not unite us. See, there was nothing under law that caused us to have a condition with God called righteousness. See. It was based on works righteousness. And therefore, we didn't have intimacy with God. So what this has done has caused us to have an intimacy with God that nothing else could. And that came through and by the Lord Jesus. Now, let's look for a minute. Let's go ahead and look at Luke. Uh, you know, talking about uh, the birth of Jesus here. But let's look at Luke chapter 2. And, and let's, let's look at verse... Let's just look at verse 14. It's what these uh, suddenly, you know, verse 13 tells us that there was uh, uh, with the angel a multitude 
of the heavenly host, praising and saying. I like what Rick Renner points out about that. He says, you know, we've always thought they were out there, the angels were up there singing, but he says there's nowhere it says they were singing. They were saying. Angels come to announce. They say stuff. But here's what they said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Notice, sometimes you can, you can get some information or revelation on uh, what the Bible means by looking at to what it does not say. He said there that he, these angels proclaimed this, said there will be peace on earth, peace and goodwill toward men, not among men. Now, when the Antichrist appears, he is going to promise peace among men. And you know as well as I do, he's not going to make that happen. But Jesus brought peace toward men, meaning this, that the peace of God now is given to mankind. See, this peace and this goodwill, not bad will, not conditional will, goodwill comes from God to humanity. And that was through the, of course, the... Uh, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. The birth of Jesus being of the virgin birth, but death, burial, resurrection caused that to happen. Well, this prophecy came to pass, of course, at the resurrection. Now, I want to ask you a question. What, what is forgiveness? What, what is forgiveness? Uh, uh, somebody want to share what, you just, what comes into your mind when you think of forgiveness? It's the ability to let go of whatever wrong someone has done to you. Okay. Somebody else? Webster's Dictionary says that it is to excuse for a fault or offense to renounce anger or resentment against someone uh, to absolve from payment of a debt. You know, if you go to a bank and so you walk in and somebody has paid your debt off, they say, well, they, you, you, have, you have debt forgiveness. You know, you, that you've been forgiven of that debt. So the word forgiveness in Scripture doesn't mean what forgiveness uh, that we think of the word is today. We, it, it's just not, it's not defined accurately from, from the context of our dictionaries and all that. that it, it's, it's completely different. Jesus did much more than what we call forgiveness. This thing is not just something, well, you know, you're out when you were a kid playing with the fellow neighborhood kid and y'all get in a fight and an argument and, and you know, and both of you just go their way. In a few minutes, they're back playing together because they've forgiven each other. You know, it's it, what Jesus did for us is much more than what we think uh, forgiveness is or was. Uh, basically, the Greek word, there's several uh, tenses of this word, and, 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 and that's why we get different meanings for the same word. But aphemiae is the Greek word for forgiveness. It literally means to send away. So in, in, in a way... You know, it's releasing what somebody has done against you. But it means to send away, to dismiss. You forgive, well, you forgive. When God forgives, He dismisses. When you forgive, you're supposed to dismiss. It, it also has a connotation to forsake. Forsake. 
leave. That's got that word in there. To leave. Also, it's also used of divorce. So this basically, this word aphemiae basically means to, to send the offense away. To deal with it. To dismiss it. Uh, in, in Matthew 27 and 50, when it said that Jesus yielded up the ghost, same word, aphemiae, he sent his, he sent his spirit away. Matthew 13, 36, when Jesus went, and this is used a lot because lots of times crowds were around him, but Jesus sent the crowd away. He sent the multitude away. That's that word aphemiae, see. So I want to get that picture in your mind that God's forgiveness for you is sending your sin away. To eliminate it, to dismiss it from you. You're no longer held liable for that offense. That, that, I mean, that is awesome. You're no longer held, held liable. In Leviticus 25, 10... Let's just read that. I, I started to just say something about that. But let's just go over there. Leviticus 25 and 10. Every time I do this, I think of the old thing we used to do in vacation Bible school, draw your swords. 25 and 10. And you shall hallow the 50th year... And proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither shall you reap that which groweth of it in itself in it, nor gather the grapes. Uh, in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee, it shall be a holy unto you, and you shall eat in the increase thereof out of the field. So, so this, this set at liberty, which in the Septuagint is the Greek word aphesis, which is the same as aphemi. It's a different, it's a different form of the same word, but that's basically what he's saying there to set at liberty, see. And that they would be have a, a, a jubilee every 50th year. A lot of people now, they're getting into some, some of that Judaism. And so I've heard lots of Christians talk about, well, this is the year of jubilee. No, Jesus is our year of jubilee. If, if you're looking for a jubilee, then you, you've missed Jesus and his, his uh, resurrection because everything changed. So we're not looking for a jubilee. Jesus is our jubilee. Okay? There's so much charismatic doctrine out there that are absolutely... Uh, opposite of what the Bible is teaching. And it's all because they don't believe what God has said about it. And to take the word of God and apply it to themselves, they have to get something else and come up with a different doctrine to make people feel good. All those doctrines preach good. I've done it myself till I got corrected. See. So this jubilee, this sending away, is the same thing that Jesus said when he took the scroll. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, he took the scroll, he unrolled it right to the place, and read this scripture uh, that, it, that it is over, it says, we, to set at liberty. He said, I have been sent from God to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
For the Lord has anointed me to do all these. And you can, you can read that for you. But, but, but that means set at liberty. So in this context of what is forgiveness is also the ability to be set free, to have liberty. People never had liberty under Old Covenant. We have liberty in the New Covenant today. So the New Covenant declares to us that our sin has been sent away, banished from our presence. We have been divorced and set free from the chains that have bound us. And we are to be at liberty. Now see folks, that's what the gospel is. That's probably why a lot of people are not saved today is that the church has not been saying that. I said this a while back. I'm going to reiterate this. That the gospel, the real gospel, is the announcement of the innocence of humanity. Listen to me. As much as we like to judge and point fingers at what people are doing wrong, as much as we like to enjoy the benefits of how, you know, when you're in unforgiveness and you try to get, get vengeance on somebody, you know, but when you, when you get, get it up on somebody and you just, you know, you come against them or you, you do something to them because they've hurt you, I mean, that feels good to your natural flesh. But listen to me, the world needs to hear that God is no, is no longer holding people's sins against them. It's been released. It's been sent away. We have been forgiven. Not just Christians. The entire world. Jesus came and died for the entire world. Correct? So the world has been appeased. God's wrath for the world has been appeased. The world has been purchased. The world has been forgiven. The world is not being held accountable for its sins any longer. Now, that's not a popular message today. Because, you know, when preachers preach like this, they lose control of the people. You get to, have you ever been sat under a, a brow-beating preacher? Where they make you feel bad? I mean, I, I come from a region where that if you feel real bad about yourself when you leave church, you've had a good service. But I'm telling you, that's not good news. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the announcement to the beggar on the street, to the drunk in the ditch, to the harlot in the house. The, the gospel is the announcement, God has forgiven you. God has released you from this. God has not only forgiven you, but he has driven your iniquity away. He has sent, sent it away. And that's how we're going to win the world. Because people are not out here preaching that. They're picking out the well if you'll repent. I mean, you remember me telling you last week, I think, uh, I had Sunday school teachers telling little kids, well, you better not, you better not you know, be mad, bad, because Jesus won't love you. I mean, what a message. Jesus loves everybody. Listen, God's love is not contingent upon whether you receive it or not, is it? It, it never changes. You know, it, the issue is not God loving you. The issue is you loving God. See, that, that's where freedom begins, when you begin to love Him. That's why the Lord, you know, when He... I almost felt like the Apostle Paul that day in my office back in 1990, when, or 91 maybe, in May, and the Lord told me that I didn't love Him. Why? That devastated me. 
And you know, my heart was exposed almost immediately because my righteous indignation rose up. And out of my mouth, I said, but Lord, look what I've had to put up with because of this. What do you mean I don't love you? Of course, I got up and announced it to my church because I'm just a blabbermouth that I didn't love God. And everybody was saying, well, and so then I began to, to share with them uh, what that meant. Because uh, after that happened, it took me a couple of days to warm up to God again. I said, well, please tell me, how do I love you? He said, well, you first have to discover how much I love you. And that's the journey I've been on. I'm still, I've still not arrived. Because I'm telling you, when we're permeated with his love, and our, our reciprocal uh, response is loving him, you know what that does? When you begin to love God, you automatically begin loving people. Automatically. You don't have to try anymore. You, you get to the point where you're, you're almost unoffendable. You just, because you see, see, God knows everything. He knows why people's in a bad mood. He knows why the things that happen in life are the reason they happen. We don't. But when we start walking in his love and embracing his forgiveness, embracing Jesus as our jubilee, embracing the fact that we have great liberty in him. I'm telling you, being set free like that is freeing not only for us, but those around us. See? So, so that's the message that we have to give to the world that, uh, hey, God's not holding any of this stuff against you. I'm telling you, there's, I've got relatives that, that need to hear this because they beat themselves over their, over their head, uh, beat themselves over the head because of the things they're doing or the things they're not doing. Now, I know people that want to make you feel bad for not coming to church, but I'm telling you what, I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. Coming to church is not a prerequisite for loving God. It's good. We need to fellowship with one another. We need to have that corporate fellowship and worship and praise. And I mean, it's good for us. It's good to, to gather together and not, you know, not be isolated. But I'm telling you, there, there, there's no strike against you if you sit at the house. Amen? So, can anybody say amen today? Amen. So... We are really free from sin. We're free from it. According to what Paul wrote in, in especially Romans 6, sin has no dominion over us. That word dominion is a kingly word. It means to have domain. It, it, you know, the, the, sin has no domain in us anymore. Remember what Jesus said about himself? He said, Satan has nothing in me. Well, we've got a flesh body that we live in that's still prone to sin. And Satan wants to pick on that and get us to operating in it and, and you know, abandon uh, the grace of God. But, but it's this meaning that we're free from sin that we must insert every single time we read of God forgiving us. It's that meaning that we're, we're totally free. The forgiveness of sin, the, the word sin is harmartia. It describes the principle and power of sin. And he's forgiven that. It's, it's basically, hamartia is the governing force or the governing factor of sin. Romans 5.12, it says, Through one man sin entered the world and death by sin. 
through sin. John 1, 29. Let's look at that. That's a Christmas, uh, definitely a Christmas scripture. John 1, 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith unto him, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. We're not going to probably get into this at any time in my Christmas messages, but it's just kind of a, a side note here. Jesus, you know, is the Lamb of God. He was born as the Lamb of God. When, they, when she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, you know what that was? The swaddling clothes are the little bandages, the strips that, of cloth that they wrap around a newborn lamb's legs and wrap him to keep him warm and protected. So when the shepherds came in, in fact, the angels told the shepherds, they said, you know what, you're going to know this guy because you're going to walk in and see the Lamb of God. You'll know because he's wrapped up like a lamb. See. So when, when, when John saw him, at, at a later point, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away... The hamartia of the world. There's that word, takes away. Actually, the word takes is not in the Greek. It's the word away, which means takes away, send away. Behold the Lamb of God, which sends away the sin, the hamartia, the governing force of, of sin, of the whole world. It's the Greek word ariel, which means to pick up and carry away from and carry to another place. It's kind of like the picture, you remember, have you done any studying on, uh, on, the, on the goat that the high priest laid his hands on and committed all the sins of Israel to that goat and sent him by a fit man out into the wilderness. He sent that, that's the picture of sending away. Jesus became what we were, took on our sin, and God sent him away to the regions of the damned to bear our punishment and our sin. That's what happened to Jesus. And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. Jesus was the firstborn among many. The firstborn from the dead. You see, that new birth, do you hear me? I said that new birth was just as important as this birth that we're talking about Christmas time. He had to be born of a virgin. I've explained fully why. But then this, up in this new birth, when he was raised from the dead, he was actually born from the dead. Born again. And now it's this new creation. And everyone that believes on him gets that same quality of life. The new creation. The new spirit. You're brand new. Sin is sent away. He said, well, if it's sent away, how come I can still sin? Because you have a want to in you. We have this flesh. It draws on us. Amen? Y'all get anything out of this? Huh? Let's see. Uh, Matthew 26, 28. I was just real troubled all week studying about this next message I was supposed to do. And finally I got tired of fighting with it and said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? And so this fell from heaven, and I hope it's good. Matthew tw chapter 26, I've, you've probably already got it on the board. And verse 28. 
Well, we'll get there one day. Matthew 26, 28. He said, For this is my blood of the new covenant, New Testament, which is shed for many for the what? Remission. The sending away of sins. Aphemiae. Harmartia. This blood was shed for many, many being everybody. But the reason it's got many here from the Greek standpoint is that those that receive it, those that will have it, for the remission, for the sending away of Harmartia. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Uh, literally, Jesus took away the power and principle of sin. Jesus took that away. Let's look at that. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. Who hath delivered us from the power... That's the Greek word for authority. And he knows that before Jesus became what we were, sin had authority, but he took its authority away. The, who, who, who had delivered us from the, the authority of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Translated us to remove. He removed us from one station in life to another. He removed us and translated us into the kingdom. He moved us out of the other kingdom into the kingdom of his dear son. The actual realm of the son of whom we have to do with. He took it away. The principle and power of sin. He, he, he released it. Now, let's turn back over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And verse 40, let's see, 6. And said unto them, it, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remissions of sins should what? Be preached. be preached. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached. What do you think the word repentance is? Do you remember me sharing two different words for repent? Hmm? There's two Greek words for repent. One is something we shouldn't do, and the other was something we need to always do. Metamelomai is a word that is, it, let's see, it's used over there where Judas hung himself. Uh, he said he repented himself and, and went out and hung himself. And that word is metamelomai. That word is full of emotion. That kind of repentance you've seen at altars where people have come down here and cried and, oh, God, I'm so sorry. You saw it with Jimmy Swaggart back in the, when was it, the late 90s when he was in this big crocodile tear saying, well, he was caught, and so he was sorry. Metamelomai is a, is a sorrowful word. It's, you know, hey, you know, I hate this. But the, but the Greek word here for repentance is metanoia. Meta, as we saw, is, is a word which means with, and noia is the word for mine. So with your mind, you make a choice to walk away from. 
Repentance is the picture of somebody going in a certain direction, realizing he's on the wrong path, turning around and walking opposite. That's what repentance is. It's a mind thing. It's, it's a choice. It is a decision. Repentance is a decision. You may not feel any emotion when you make that kind of repentance. And that sidestrips a lot of people because they're always used to, well, you know, he didn't cry. I don't know if he got saved or not. He didn't cry. Please. Crying ain't got nothing to do with it. I mean, most people do. You know, they sense the new change and they're thankful. If the proper message has been preached, they know Jesus has, has released them from their sin. And, and, you know, that's enough to cry about. Glory to God. But what I'm trying to get across to us is you know, this forgiveness or excuse me, this, this forgiveness of sin and this repentance that we've been re, re, you know, released from has, sometimes has no emotion. It's a quality decision you've made, and God honors that. I mean, let, let's just take a little further on this. If you met a Melami, can I put it that way? If you met a Melami repent... And come down here and say, Brother, Brother Chumley, I, I'm just so, uh, you know, I'm so sorry for what I've done and my sins. I, I want to repent. I'm so sorry. And, and, and actually some people, they ask, well, are you sorry for what you did? If you met a Melami, you can come down here and go through the nine yards. I mean, you can literally soak a handkerchief and walk, get up and walk out and never have repented of that sin. Praise you, Jesus. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So we've got to go preach this. We, we have to go tell people. You know what Jesus has done we've got to go tell him uh, tell people about the full full deal with God of course I'm trying to get some direction here if you wonder what I'm doing what is the faithfulness of God the faithfulness of God, there's a word that describes his faithfulness. It's, a, it's The Hebrew root word is, is enumwa. It, it, it means fidelity. It means steadfastness. steadfastness. Uh, it, it means to be certain, enduring, to trust or believe. So from this root word, we get three other different words. One is amen. You know that you ever wonder where that word came from? That's where this Greek from this root word, amen, amen, how you want to pronounce it. It means so it is. When when I say amen, you're saying amen. You're saying well, so it is. Some people say so be it. That's what that means. But there's another word from this root word uh, also about the faithfulness of God is emet. It means truth or true. Another one is immuna, which means faithfulness. But with, with, when we put these words together, it depicts having a God who is infinitely reliable. Uh, he is a God that can be counted on at all times, constant, unchangeable. That's the faithfulness of God. 
Over in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, then he remains faithful. He can't deny himself, it says. So that's the faithfulness of God. He's not going to abandon you because you've slipped up. He remains faithful. He's not going to give up and say, well, you know, I've been working with Jerry for a long time now, and it doesn't seem like he's going to get, you know, get out of this kind of behavior, so I'm just going to pull out and, uh, and just forget about him. That's not the God we have. A lot of people will do that to you. People will pull their support out. They'll, what you're actually doing is withdrawing love. There's never an instance in your life, no matter what's happened to you, that requires you or uh, gives you the right to withdraw love from somebody. I don't care what they've done. You know, it definitely shows us where we are in our in our growth process. I mean, you know, somebody that uh, abuses a child. I mean, in Jerry's own mind, hell's not hot enough for him. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd just soon send them right then. But God's not that way. God is faithful. Do you know that God loves those people just as much as he loves you? He does. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But he does. And see, for us to question him about this was a real hard thing the Lord revealed to me. For us to question him about that kind of thing. Because I've, I've done countless counseling sessions about these things with people. For us to question him about his love about those people is, is really saying that he is not strong enough to save to the uttermost. God's love is not strong enough to save people out of any kind of sin. That's what we're saying. So we can't relegate love to the level of human love. See, uh, agape love, which is the God kind is not just human love raised to the highest level. Because human love is conditional. Human love can be withdrawn. Did you realize that agape love cannot be withdrawn? It cannot be. It can't violate its, its very essence. Because it doesn't require a response to love. It, it just loves, see. So that's why I said to us that, and possibly those that might be listening or hearing uh, uh, or watching... Uh, we can't get ourselves to the point where we pull, we pull out love. I mean, God's love is unconditional. Ours is. See? So we can't, we, you know, if you're loving God, you're going to love people. So, so that's why I, I reiterated uh, that the issue at, at hand in our daily walk with Him is not His loving you. It's how much do you love him? See, There's a little story I'd like to give you at some point. Uh, it's a whole message. But I'll, I'll give you some clue here and you can go look at it in John chapter 21. I call it the rescue when I preach that. And it's where Jesus is rescuing six disciples that backslid because Jesus wasn't with them anymore. He'd, he'd been raised and all that. But the, Peter just says, I'm going to go back to my fishing franchise. And the, the, the word I go there in the Greek, it means to make a quality decision to turn around, walk the other direction, and fasten yourself to. And so that's what Peter was doing. And he talked six other disciples or five other to go with him back to fishing. And that's when Jesus showed up on the bank 
with the fish and all that stuff. And you can read the whole story. But Jesus answered him. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, uh, well, you know we're good friends, Jesus. Because he didn't use the same word Jesus did. He used phileo. King James has it all love, but it's not. It's different words. Jesus said, well, Peter, second time, do, do you love me? And, and in fact, he I might as well go ahead and preach this a little bit. He qualified each one of those statements. Well, he said, okay, then go feed my lambs. Asked him again. Peter said, yeah, we're good friends. Hey, man. You know, we've been walking together for three and a half years now. We're good friends. Jesus said, well, okay, go feed my sheep. Then he asked him again. The third time, he said, Peter, are we friends? He used phileo that time. And it really upset Peter. He said, how can you question that? He said, well, go feed my sheep. You see, there's only one thing that gives you the ability and the impetus, I guess I should say, to go ahead and do what God's called you to do, and that's real love. And Peter being called to the, to the office that he was called to required his love for Jesus to that degree. It's interesting there because Jesus was saying, uh, you know, in one reference, the lambs, he said, uh, he said he, he's talking about the babies. Feed. How many of you remember back in the 50s, the little drink called Bosco? Huh? Remember Bosco? Bosco was a chocolate mix, sort of like Nestle's Quick today, I guess. But you mixed it up in some milk, and, and it was great. And, and that's that word, that's that Greek word. He, when, when, when Jesus said, feed my, my sheep, it, it was Bosco. And the picture there is to take a small sheep, a lamb, in up in your arms and nurse it with what it needs to feed it. Bosco. Use different words for the other thing when he said to sheep. In fact, at one point when he said to feed the ewe lambs, the ewe, the ewes rather, the ewes, which is the female, he says to lead them. That, well, that word he used there is to lead out into a green, green, wonderful pasture and provide them the nourishment they need. Just to, just to, not to take them up in their arms or anything. Just to lead them out there. See, that's kind of like I think that's why the Lord gave me that message. It's kind of my calling, you know, as a pastor. Because I'm willing to, to take you up in my arms and feed you the Word of God and step you through the, the, you know, the, the steps that you need to go through. Or I can just do like I'm doing here today, just lead you into a pasture, let you graze if you want to, run around, play, whatever. It's just very, very interesting that, that Jesus is so focused that, that He wants us to understand that, that He loves us unconditionally. And the more we grasp that... Like I said, I'm not there yet myself. But the more we grasp that and have the deeper understanding of his love, that means I can increase mine. A warning, though, never, ever look for agape love from people. They'll let you down. Always look to God for that. It's good that we, at some point, to the, to the degree that we're receiving his love, is usually the degree that we can give it out. So that's why it's dangerous for us to, it's dangerous for a woman to, to look to a man to fulfill that particular part uh, in her life. Only Jesus can. Only God can. A woman is not to look to a man to meet all that, that psychological, emotional need because only Jesus can. Uh, and, and a woman is to love her husband. Huta Messiah. I wish Max and his, and his girlfriend was here. I'd, you can tell him I said this. 
uh, five times. I think I said this at your wedding. Five times in the Word of God, men are told to love their wives. Every single time, the Word is agape. One time, the ladies are told to love their husbands. Guess what word that is? It's phileo. Isn't it interesting? Praise God. Let's stand up. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace. Your tender, loving kindness, Father. Thank you for these people that have heard this word today. May it dwell richly in their hearts, Father, and ponder them as Mary did the words of the angels. And Father, we just ask today that everyone have a great week, that there'll be no evil come nigh their dwelling. We stand on the Word of God for that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're capable and we are willing for you to tell us and speak to us and guide us along our way so that before we may have problem, that you'll alert us and we can make the adjustments necessary so that we can avoid calamity, we can avoid sickness and disease. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us and guiding us and directing us. Thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. Thank you, Father, for the grace of God. And we give you praise and honor for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.